Father, I thank you for your incredible, your infallible, your miracle-working word. Thank you that every question in life can be answered through your word. God, I pray today the anointing of the Spirit will rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord. Give us ears to hear your word, Father. God, help us not just to be uh, hearers of your word, but also to be doers of your word. Father, all of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. Well, today we're going to begin a three-part series called The Great Questions of Life. All of us have questions. In fact, the older I get, the more questions that I have. And I certainly have far more questions than I have answers, especially these days. As I attempt to answer some of these questions, please understand that that these answers are are not meant to be absolute. They're not meant to be complete, but rather just food for thought and something to chew on. By the way, please just chew on the answers I give and not on me personally. (laughs) The first great question of life that I want to address is, why am I here? Why am I here? Why was I born? Am I merely the byproduct of my parents' passion? Why am I here? I'm child number four in my family. My parents already had three children, and, and two of them were boys. Uh, I'm pretty sure I wasn't ordered. Uh, I, I was an oops baby, uh, a surprise, and, and probably not the kind of surprise that you hope for. Why am I here? If my parents didn't order me, who did? No doubt all of us have asked this question at one time or another in our life. It's one of the great questions of life. Why am I here? I want to suggest three reasons why you and I are here, why we were born, why we have been placed in this mysterious thing called life. Let me suggest, first of all, this morning you are here because God has a place for you. You're here this morning because God has a place for you. In 1 Kings chapter 17, it records part of the life story of a prophet named Elijah. Now there's a word that keeps reoccurring in these verses over and over, and the word is there. There. Verse number 4, God said to Elijah, he said, Go to Kirith, and the ravens will feed you there. Anywhere? No. There. Verse number 9, God said to Elijah, go to Zarephath and stay there. Go anywhere? No, go there. goes on to say, I have commanded a widow to sustain you there. Verse number 10 says that when he came to Zarephath, the widow was there. Why am I here? 
because God has a place for me. He has a specific their place for all of us. Just as God had a specific place for Elijah, God has a specific place for me, and God has a specific place for, for you. Let me suggest to you that life is like a puzzle. And each of us are like a little tiny piece of life's puzzle. And life's puzzle is not complete without us. Now, we might not think that we are very important in the grand scheme of life, but the fact of the matter is there would be a missing piece in life's puzzle if it were not for you. There would be a missing piece in life's puzzle if it were not for me. And only we can fit the piece of the puzzle that's missing and complete the puzzle. God has a place, and he's got a place for you. Now, I want to suggest three things about your place. First of all, let me suggest that your place includes purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says that the word of the Lord says... Before I formed you in your mother's womb. I want you to notice that. Before I what? Before I formed you. How many understand this morning that God has formed us? God has designed us. God has shaped us. On purpose and for a purpose. See, see, there's a reason why I'm a bulldog and not a chihuahua or basset hound. God says, I formed you. God says, I I designed you. God says, I shaped you. God says, I formed you. It goes on to say, I set you apart. Notice that, I set you apart. See, See, we don't come off of an assembly line where one size fits all. And God said about Jeremiah, he said, I formed you, I set you apart. And he went on to say, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Why are we here? Because God has a place for us. God has a place for you. Your place includes purpose. But secondly, your place includes provision. Provision. Back to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17, the Bible says that his, their place was a place of provision. The Bible says that ravens provided for Elijah when his, their place was the brook, and a widow provided for him when his, their place was Zarephath. See, what we need to understand is sometimes our, their place changes. The grace place is my their place right now, but it hasn't always been my their place, and it will not always be my their place. God has a place for us, but sometimes he changes our place. But here's what we need to understand this morning, and that is, although our their place might change, we need to understand that the the same God that provided us and provided for us at our last place will provide us for us at the next place. See, the God of the past is the God of the present, and the God of the present is the God of the future, and the God that was with us at our last their place will be with us in our present and our future their place. But not only does your place include purpose, not only does it include provision, but your place includes protection. 
protection. See, see, the reason why God told Elijah to go to the brook and then later to go to Zarephath, the reason was, was to protect him from King Ahab that was trying to kill him. God has a place for you, and God's place for you includes divine protection. I want you to notice in the book of Acts, chapter number 13 and verse 36, the Bible says that after David, say after, after David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. I want you to notice that David didn't die until after he had served God's purpose for his life. See, I personally believe that that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I personally believe that I'm going to live until I have completed God's life assignment for me. That's why I'm not trying to complete it too quickly. Pastor, why am I here? Why was I born? Well, first of all, you are here because God has a place for you. Another reason why you're here this morning is because God has a people for you. God has a people for you. Acts chapter uh, 16, verses 6 through 10. Let's read that real quickly this morning. Acts, the book of Acts. Chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, the Bible says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, notice, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Don't you think there were some lost people in Asia? But they were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not let them go. Don't you think there were some needs in Bithynia? So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. To who? To them. Why am I here? Because God has a people. Notice that the Holy Spirit had a specific people picked out for Paul and his staff to minister to him or to minister to. Why are you here? Because God has a people for you. Listen, you need to understand that the family that you were born into or adopted into or married into, that's not a coincidence. You are a part of that family by divine appointment. You are here because God has a people for you. And your family would not be complete without you. The relationships you have, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, the people that you interact with, all of these people are a part of the reason why you are here. I want to suggest three reasons why God has a people for you. I want you to notice this one. This is, if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, get this. One reason why God has a people before you is because the people in your life are your God-given assignment. Did you get it? The people in your life are your God-given assignment. 
God has assigned all of us to a particular people. The Bible says that that he assigned Peter to the Jews. The Bible says that he assigned Paul to the Gentile. He assigned me to you. Let me ask you this question this morning. How are you doing with the people God has assigned you to? Because you need to understand that that the people in your life are your God-given assignment. You notice also this, and that is the people in your life give you access to what's next for you. The people in your life give you access to what's next for you. See, see, most open doors are either directly or indirectly related uh, to a person you have a relationship with. See, I am your pastor today because one of my best friend's brother told me about this place. If it was not for the relationship that I had with my best friend who had a brother who also knew me and knew about my ministry, without this relationship, I would never have even known uh, anything about this church. Somebody said it's not what you know, but who you know. Somebody else said a moment of favor is more valuable than a lifetime of labor. And favor comes through people. Why are you here? Because God has a people for you. The third thing you need to understand about this, and that is the people in your life account for most of who you are and what you will accomplish. Every once in a while, and it happens more often than it used to, but every once in a while when I'm shaving, I get a glimpse of my father staring back at me in the mirror. And I hear his voice coming out of my mouth. My son told me a while back that, that, that his wife Amber told him, you're sounding just like your dad. I'm pretty sure she wasn't complimenting him at the moment. Because the people in your Life, account for most of who you are and what you will accomplish. It is extremely important who you allow yourself and who you allow in your inner circle. And I know I say it a lot, and it's, but it's because it is so, so important. See, Jesus loved everybody. I mean, he's Jesus. He asked me, right? Come on. Jesus, Jesus loved everybody, but he only hung out with 12, and they were the 12 that he had chosen. But even that, of these 12 men, only three were allowed into his inner circle. We're talking about the first of many of the great questions of life. The question, why am I here? The answer, because God has a place for you. The answer, because God has a people for you. The answer, because God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Why are you here? You are here because God has a plan for your life. And God's plan for you is different than his plan for me, and his plan for me is different than his plan for you. But God has a plan for your life. Now understand this this morning. Some people are born to lead.
Some people are born to lead. I have always been a leader. I didn't say I've always been a good leader, but I have always been a leader. My whole life, I, I, I had the lead part uh, in the sixth grade school play. Um, I was president of student council. Um, I was captain of the football team. Um, I was a pastor at 17. I have always been a leader. Look in the, some people are born to lead. We need to understand that. Some people are born to lead. Romans chapter 12. Let's look there this morning. Romans chapter 12. And verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, having then gifts differing, say differing, means they're different, right? Different gifts. Therefore, different gifts according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives, give with liberality. He who leads, lead with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I want to give you six qualities of a successful leader. Six qualities of a successful leader. Leader. First of all, leaders deliberate. Leaders deliberate. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 15, the Bible says that a wise man gives careful thought to his steps. Successful leaders are thinkers. Successful leaders are planners. They don't just fly by the seat of their pants. They don't just make it up as they go. They are always thinking ahead. First of all, leaders deliberate. Second thing that leaders do, and that is leaders decide. They decide. Once they deliberate, after they have processed the situation, they decide. And this is huge. See, see, you need to understand this, and that is if you have all of the facts, there's no decision to be made. Because if you have all of the facts, you don't need a decision. If you have all of the facts, you have the answer. So leaders have to make decisions based on just some and limited information. And this is why leading is so hard. And this is why leaders are often criticized for their decisions. Because they don't have the answer, they're making decisions. They don't have all the facts and the figures. They have part of the facts and part of the figures. And based upon limited information, they have to make a decision. Let's look at the book of James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. found this verse when I was a 17-year-old pastor, and I've, I've been praying this prayer all my life for, or for the last 44-plus years. If, you lack, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many believe a 17-year-old pastor lack wisdom? <laughs> Can you imagine the wisdom that just came from that pulpit from that 17-year-old pastor? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It what? It will be given to him. 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me, let, let me tell you how I make decisions. Write this down. It's worthwhile. Here's how to make a good decision. When I have a decision that I need to make, here's what I do. First of all, I ask God for wisdom to make the decision. I say, God, I don't have all the facts, therefore I don't have the answer. But God, you know what the answer is. And I pray that you will help me to make the decision that is really the answer. God, I need wisdom to make this decision. So before I make any major decision, first of all, I ask God for wisdom to make the decision. Second thing I do is I do my due diligence. I don't leave it all up to God. I do what I can do and then depend upon God to do what I am not not able to do. So after I ask God for wisdom to make the decision, the second thing I do is, is I do my due diligence. I gather the information. I gather the facts that I do have. I gather the information that is available. I gather all the information together. And then after I gather the information, then I process all of that information. And I dot my I's and I cross my T's. And then the third thing that I do in making a decision is, and that is I believe that God has given me wisdom for making the decision. See, too often we say, God, give me wisdom to make this decision. I don't know about this decision. Why don't you know about the decision? You ask God to give you wisdom to make the decision, did you not? And did not God say that if you would ask for wisdom that he would give you wisdom? So is God a liar? So the first thing I do is I ask God for wisdom to make the decision. Then I do my due diligence. And then, number three, I believe I have faith. I trust. I believe that God has given me decision, has given me wisdom for making the decision. Why? Because I asked and because he said if I would ask, he would give it to me. And so I remind God, which I'm not really reminding God, I'm reminding myself, God, you said if I need wisdom, I could ask you and you'd give it to me. So God, I've asked you for wisdom to make the decision. So God, I believe that you are a man of your word. I believe that you do what you say. And so God, I'm believing you that you are giving me wisdom to make this decision. And the fourth thing I do is I make the decision. Unlike the lady that spent the night at the four-way stop. I make the decision because leaders decide. And then the fifth thing that I do, and this is huge, and that is I refuse to second-guess my decision. How could, I ref- how could I do this? Because, because he said if I needed wisdom, I could ask him and he'd give it to me. I asked him for wisdom. I believe that he gave it to me. And I made the decision based on not my wisdom, but the wisdom that he gave to me. And so I can make the decision and not look back. I can make the decision and I can refuse to second guess my decision. That should have cost you $20 in a book I read. That's, or I wrote, I mean, excuse me. I really meant that I wrote. I didn't read it. (laughs) Leaders deliberate. Leaders decide. 
And leaders declare. Leaders declare what they have decided. And this takes guts. And this is scary. Because this place is a target on your back. But this is what makes the leader the leader. This is what separates the men from the boys, the wannabe leaders from the true leaders. What do leaders do? Well, next, leaders demonstrate. Jesus was the greatest leader to ever lead. And Jesus led by example. He demonstrated. In John 13, the Bible says that Jesus modeled servant leadership. He washed the disciples' feet. And in verse number 15, Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Write this down this morning. Wannabe leaders seek a title. True leaders seek a towel. Wannabe leaders position themselves at the front of the line. True leaders position themselves at the end of the line. Next, leaders develop and delegate. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 through 13, the Bible says that he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Why did the Lord give these ministers to the church? He gave them, verse number 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, 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 really, the, the, the pastor, the, the, the staff, the leaders of, of the church, it's not, they're not to do the ministry. They are to equip the saints to do the ministry. See, effective leaders only do what only they can do. They develop and then they delegate to others everything else. No amens on that, but it's Bible. And finally, what do leaders do? Leaders deliver. They deliver. Listen, a true leader will get you from point A to point B. A true leader will get you from point B to point C. A true leader will get you from from Y to Z. True leaders deliver what they have declared. Why am I here? Because God has a plan for you. Some people are born to lead. But notice this this morning. Some people are born... To help carry the load. Some are born to lead and some are born to help carry the load. In Romans chapter 12 verse 6 through 8 that we read earlier it says everyone has a different gift. Say a different gift. It says some have the gift of leadership but some have the gift of serving. Leaders direct the load. Servers carry the load. I want to suggest four things about those who help carry the load. Listen, hear them this morning. This is good. First of all, load lifters share the heart of their leader. 
See, see, you can only serve somebody if you have their heart. For example, for example, a church, a church should never elect a deacon that doesn't have the heart of their pastor. Because the deacon is not the extension of the people, but a deacon is the extension of the pastor. Deacons were selected to help fulfill the, the vision of the God-called pastor, not to represent the people to the big bad pastor. It's Bible, folks. I know we lost it somewhere along the way, but that's true Bible. And that's one of the reasons why God has blessed this church so much. Listen, what this church went through 14 years ago, I, you know, when I come into here, I thought, man, they're going to tie my hands and they're not going to let me do anything for a long, long time because they're wounded and they're hurt and they're beat up and they're going to tie my hands. But you know what? They were in the process of, of writing uh, Constitution and bylaws. And you know what? In writing Constitution and bylaws during that amount of time, they actually loosened the hands of the pastor. When I saw what they presented to me, I said, wow, this is awesome. Because usually when a church goes through problems, they try to fix everything in the Constitution and bylaws so it'll never happen again. This church didn't do that. And I think we're blessed because of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Load lifters share the heart of their leader. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 1, it says that Jonathan and David's hearts were knit together. See, see, Jonathan should have been king by all rights. He had the right. He was in line. He should have been the king. But because he had the heart of David, he didn't get bitter when David was chosen instead of him. Load lifters share the heart of their leader. Second thing they do, and that is load lifters sharpen the vision of their leader. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Load lifters sharpen the vision of their leader. Listen, it might be the leader's vision, and I still believe that it should be the vision of the leader. I don't believe we should gather together uh, and have a committee to search you know, for the vision for the church. I believe God will give the vision to the church, to the leader. You can fix that when I'm gone if you don't like it, but I believe it. I believe it's Bible. The Bible said there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It might be the leader's vision, which actually, if he's a true leader, it's not the leader's vision. It is God's vision. Listen, the grace place, caring people, caring for people, I ain't that good. Man, if I was that good, I'd go into business, man. I'm not that good, but God is. So really, it's not the vision of, it's not my vision, actually. It's God's vision, but it is my job to seek the face of God, to find God's vision for the house. And when I find God's vision for the house, then I give the vision of the house to the house. But it might be the leader's vision, but if he is wise, he will allow those closest to him to help sharpen it. See, Proverbs, 17 and, or Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Listen, listen, as the lead pastor of the grace place, I give direction. But I want you to know that I lean heavy on my amazing staff to work out the details. I give them the vision and I say, make me look good. They do the best they can with what they have to work with. 
Notice this, load lifters shift the weight of the load. Man, that's so good. In Exodus 17, as long, the Bible said that as long as Moses held out his rod out toward the battle, the army of Israel prevailed. But the Bible says that when Moses' hands got weary and when he let down the rod, the Bible says that the enemy prevailed. Now catch this this morning. Catch this. Understand this this morning. Aaron and her realized the value of their God-called leader. And they understood that God's blessing for them... Flowed through him. So Aaron got on one side of Moses and her got on the other. Aaron got on one side of Moses and her got on the other side and they shifted the load from Moses' hands to their hands. Because load lifters shift the weight of the load. See, the reason why 90, yes, you heard me correctly, the reason why 90% of pastors burn out somewhere along the way, the reason why nine pastors start out in ministry, don't finish. Nine out of ten. And one of the reasons why 90% of pastors burn out somewhere along the way is because of a lack of errands and hers. A A lack of load lifters to shift the weight of the load. And finally, load lifters shield their leader from the enemy. In First Samuel 17, verse 41, the Bible says, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him. Did you catch that? With his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. See, see, a shield bearer walk in front of their leader to shield him from the attack of the enemy. The shield bearer said, if you get to my enemy, or if you, or if you get to my leader, you're going to have to come through me. See, some are called to proclaim the God-given vision, and some are called to protect the God-given visionary. I'll never forget, it's been about 30 years ago now. We were new in the church. And every time you're new in the church, and you, you know you're not the old guy, so you do things a little different. And just about every Monday morning, I knew there was going to be a knock on my door. And one of my deacons was going to trot to my office and tattle This one don't like this. That one don't like that. This one don't like that. And it's just a handful. It always is. I read a book the other day. said the average pastor leaves a church for three people. Don't get, hey, don't get all excited. I'm not going anywhere. And one Monday, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And the bulldog growled. And I got in the face of that deacon and I said, Sir, but here's the deal. He'd come to me with this and he'd be all upset. 
And then I tell him and talk to him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He'd leave, tell me I was the greatest pastor they ever had. And then next Monday he'd be knocking on my door again. And I asked him that one day, I said, Sir, brother, have you ever thought about standing up for me? You're my representative. You represent me, represent me to the people, not the people to me. It's the Bible. Hello? See, a shield bearer walks in front of their leader to shield them from the attack of the enemy. Why am I here? To get some help on the platform this morning. Why am I here? Because God has a plan for me. Some people are called to lead. And some people are called to carry the load. Our takeaway today is we are here as a part of God's plan to fulfill His purpose. Amen? We are here as a part of God's plan. See, see, see I'm here by divine appointment. I'm here by divine assignment. But let me tell you, so are you. So are you. See, it's okay for you to sit there, you know, if you're new, it's okay for you to sit there and say, well, I wonder what they have to offer me. But I think if it's fair for you to sit there and say, I wonder what this church has to offer me, I think it'd be fair for us to say, huh, I wonder what our members have to offer us. I wonder what our members have to offer our church. Father, I just pray you'll take this word this morning, Father. The principles of your incredible, your infallible, your miraculous, your wonderful word. God, do what needs to be done in this service this morning. Let your glory fill this house today. God, let this church become everything that you have called it to become. Let us become all that you have called us to become. Father, help us to realize, Lord, that we are a part, an intricate part of the puzzle. Without the peace, our life fitting into that puzzle, there's, a, there's an empty place. It's not complete. 